0: Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield Approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield Approval is a real game-changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Today's episode of Molecule Answers is also brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that will reduce symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers.
1: And to get $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E, that's Molecule.com, and use the promo code FOOL75.
0: Full Answers, I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. Hello, Allison. Today, we're going to learn more about the growing cannabis industry and whether or not you should invest in it. And if you are, how should you invest in it or not? I don't know. <laughs> we're going to get help from David Kretzman. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Full Answers. So, bro, what's up?
1: Well, Alison, as you know, in this segment I usually choose one item from the news and talk about it for about five minutes, but I read so much and I have trouble narrowing it down. So this time I'm gonna try something different. I'm gonna highlight three things, a little shorter time for each, and one fun slash weird fact. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's bring right, it. Number, number one. Number one, defer your gains with qualified opportunity zones. So this is a lesser known creation of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed at the end of last year. Basically, if you sell an investment for a profit, normally you have to pay taxes on the capital gains, but you can avoid that if within 180 days you invest in these qualified special opportunity zones. It's Basically, it was a way for Congress to try to get people to invest in lower-income areas of the country. It's so new that they haven't worked out all the details, and just in July did the IRS actually designate what these what these special opportunity zones are. But basically, how it works is, you sell one investment, you invest it, you don't have to pay taxes on those capital gains. You can defer them up to the year 2026, and if you keep holding for several years, your cost basis goes up, so your gain is actually shorter, at least in terms of the taxable, the taxable, uh, the taxable gain. You invest in a business or real estate in one of these lower-income communities. If you hold that for 10 years, when you sell, if you have a gain, you don't pay taxes on that gain. It's an extraordinary opportunity, but they're just starting to work out the details. So, if you are interested in doing this, learn a lot of the details. One great recent article on it is can be found on Kitsis.com. That's K-I-T-C-E-S.com, written by Jeffrey Levine. It's called "Using Qualified Opportunity Zone Funds to Minimize Capital Gains." So, check that out. Number two, just in time for the holidays, get online prices at bricks and mortar stores. And this comes from Money Magazine article written by Paul Schroet titled, 10 Big Chain Stores That Will Secretly Match Amazon's Low Prices. And it essentially listed a bunch of stores where you can go in with your phone and say, look, here's the price on Amazon.com. Will you give it to me? And they will do it. Those 10 stores are Bed Bath & Beyond, Best Buy, Fry's, Home Depot, JCPenney, Nordstrom, Lowe's, Staples, Target, and of course, Joanne Fabrics. <laughs> and I did some research and found some other stores will do this too. Dick Sporting Goods, um, Walmart will do it. Um, so, I thought that was actually kind of interesting. I went and actually tried it at Best Buy when we were getting a gift for my daughter, and it worked.
0: Um, isn't there like a little way that you can scan barcodes into Amazon, too? So, that would make it super easy to actually do the apples-to-apples apples comparison, yes. right? Yes.
1: And that's a good point, because each store has their own rules about this. And mm-hmm. some of the stores, the rule is it has to be the exact item, mm-hmm. and it has to be sold directly by Amazon, not by a third-party seller. So, that would be very handy. But some stores, like Home Depot's and JCPenney's, won't, they won't only just match the price, but they'll give you a 5 to 10% discount on it. So, something to consider. Uh, item number three, and it's a sad one coming straight from Bloomberg, here's the headline, America's student loan debt crisis is about to get much worse. Mm. So, it starts with these sad stats straight from the article here. Federal student loans are the only type of consumer debt with continuous cumulative growth since the Great Recession. Student loans have seen almost 157% cumulative growth in the last 11 years. Wow. Compared to just 52% for cars and actually overall mortgage and credit card debt has gone down. When when you look to at delinquencies, 1 in 10 kids usually, but 1 in 10 people with student loans are delinquent. That means they haven't paid it in more than 90 days compared to just like 1 to 4% for mortgages and car loans. And it's about to get worse because school is getting more expensive and interest rates are going up. So it's like this double whammy on kids. So the bottom line here is, at this point, there are kids all across the country, one of mine included, who are applying to colleges. And students of all ages are applying for financial aid now because the FAFSA opened on October 1st, the FAFSA being the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. People are going to be making some big decisions about where they're going to school. And it's going to affect their life for the five to 10 to 20 years after that, depending on how much student loan they take out. So please, please, please do whatever you can to graduate without student loans. Could be looking harder for scholarships, considering ROTC, staying in state, going to community college for a couple of years. But whatever you do, try to graduate with as little debt as possible. And then, finally, the fun fact, this comes from the new Bogleheads Investing podcast. It's hosted by Rick Ferry, who's one of my all-time favorite investing writers. The very first episode featured an interview with none other than John Bogle, the wow. founder of Vanguard and the father of the Index Fund. They talked about the beginning of the Index Fund. It turns out, when they first launched the fund, it was such a dud that they didn't collect enough money to buy all 500 stocks. So, they could only buy 275, so they tried to do like a sampling of all the sectors and industries within it. And the first manager of the fund was a young woman who did it only on a part-time basis. Her other job was working in her husband's furniture store in Wilmington, Delaware. (laughs) Really? And from those inauspicious beginnings, the Vanguard 500 has since grown to be the biggest mutual fund in the world.
0: Wow. That was a fun fact. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days, and it's causing a lot of anxiety with people. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the Power Buying Process, and here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. That gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Now here's the best part: if rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to RocketMortgage.com/fool. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30-day purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public records. Equal housing lender licensed in all fifty states. NMLS ConsumerAccess.org number thirty thirty. Thanks to Molecule for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers by destroying air pollutants at the molecular level. It's replacing fifty years of antiquated technology. It's the mul- m- Ready for this? I'm ready. Mul- photo electrochemical oxidation technology or you can call it
2: Henry Henry
0: <laughs> <laughs> So that catchy technology ca- captures allergens mold bacteria viruses and airborne chemicals that includes pollutants 1000 times smaller than what a HEPA filter can catch also a bonus the molecule just looks really cool We really suffer here in the D.C. area when it comes to mold. Every tree, plant, and bush in this town is waiting to explode with spores (laughs) and pollen. It's so true. And a number of fools here have tried the Molecule, and it really worked for them and ended their suffering.
1: And to get $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and enter the Fool 75 promo code. That's Molecule.com and use the promo code FOOL75.
0: Here we are amidst Reefer Madness 2018. Light it up. <laughs> so yeah! Today, we're going to talk about cannabis. Is it the new crypto for investors? Some of you are nodding your head right now. Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are shrugging. So, joining us to understand it is David Kretzmann. He is the head analyst digging into the growth possibilities of cannabis. Oh. Uh, I know there's going to be so many bad puns. And you gotta, we aren't even going to intend it. them. Like, that was actually unintentional that I wrote digging into the growth possibilities, and I'm only reading it now <laughs> well and done. rolling my eyes. Ugh. Rolling. <laughs>
1: You're right. Oh, man.
2: Uh, this is going <laughs> to be the theme plowing. of the conversation. Let's just yep. keep.
0: We're just going to keep moving. So yes, David, thank you for joining us.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me. Great to be here.
0: So this is. We're taping this uh, many weeks in the future. It turns out where where we are right now in time. They just legalized cannabis up in Canada. Yep. So. You've been on the show before. We could waste time being like, David, tell us more about yourself, but let's just get yeah, into that's it, boring. shall we? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> but Canada. you're not boring. Let's make that
2: clear. Okay, hey, I appreciate not. that, bro.
0: So, cannabis, Canada, what did they just do? How did they legalize it?
2: Yeah. October 17th was a big day in Canada. They became the largest country in the world to legalize adult use of recreational cannabis. Up until this point, uh, Canada had allowed medical cannabis. So, there was like a small, fledgling medical cannabis industry, but. Uh, the country took a huge step on the 17th to uh, legalize recreational cannabis on a national scale. Now, some people might be asking, well, isn't it already legal in some places in the U.S.? Like, you have California, Washington, Colorado. Uh, and that's true, but in the U.S., and I'm sure we'll talk about this, it's still uh, federally illegal. So, that that's why Canada being such a major economy and country, taking this step is just a huge milestone for the industry for a substance or a crop that's really been under prohibition for almost a century now. That's what makes this such a big deal.
0: So, if I understand correctly, Canada, the at the federal level, actually gave a lot of control to the provinces over how they regulate cannabis. Is that correct? Yes. So, it's going to be kind of different locally.
2: Yeah. So, nationwide, it will be legal. But each province, kind of similar to the states here in the U.S., they have ability to, to make their own laws, like whether you're 18 or 19, uh, and, and exactly how you'll be able to access cannabis. Uh, some provinces are totally monopolizing retail. So, the governments will actually build and manage the stores that sell cannabis. Other provinces are taking more of a mix between privatized retail, public retail. So, you're seeing kind of a grand experiment all across Canada. So, you you do have at least that uh, legal framework clearing up on a national scale, and that lets these more local experience experiments take place uh, on the province level.
0: And here in the U.S., it seems like we're going in the direction of increased legalization. What's your take?
2: Yeah, at, at this point, we have over 30 states that have legalized cannabis in some shape or form. Most states are starting with medical cannabis, but now we have nine states that have also legalized recreational cannabis, where whether it's medical or you're just Doing an edible and just trying to get that high effect. And one way or another, you're able to uh, access medical cannabis. And the elephant in the room continues to be what exactly the federal government does, because at this point, the Drug Enforcement Administration still lists cannabis as a Schedule I substance. And that goes back to the 1970s. And essentially, that means cannabis is treated as. The most dangerous substance, or among the most dangerous substances that's out there. Um, so, <laughs> cannabis is Schedule One. Uh, compare that to some Schedule Two drugs like meth and cocaine, and that just shows you, you know, maybe, maybe we can reprioritize that at some point. Just the the way things are going. Um, But yeah, I I think it's just a matter of when, not if, when the federal government decriminalizes cannabis. Even President Trump has said he would probably support a bill, uh, which is working its way through Congress now, that would essentially take the federal government out of it and at least let the states uh, make that call for themselves. But there's clearly a, a tide shifting here with public opinion in the U.S. where the majority of Americans, regardless of where you fall politically, most Americans favor the idea of at least Decriminalizing cannabis, most Americans favor medical cannabis, and then you're seeing more uh, Americans favoring even recreational cannabis, and essentially letting people make that decision for themselves rather than ma- keeping it illegal.
0: Yeah, some of the estimates for growth um, in the industry, and, and granted, this is from the cannabis industry annual report, so <laughs> they might be a little skewed, but they anticipate that by 2025, between recreational and medical use, cannabis will become a 24. Billion dollar industry, twice as much as wine, and this is, is that just for the U.S. or was that? That's just the, the US? U.S. Yeah, yeah, that's bonkers.
2: Yeah, it's it's a big industry, and obviously at this point, I, I think what's interesting about cannabis is that there isn't really any direct comparison for an industry that's manifesting in this way. Obviously, it's been an illicit or a black market for almost a century now, but. There's no direct comparisons for where cannabis stands today. So, at this point, you have a lot of different projections and estimates as far as how big the opportunity could be. People trying to figure out, okay, how big is the black market in cannabis? What will the legal cannabis market look like? So, all those projections uh, at least suggest that it's a pretty substantial opportunity. And then when, when you take into consideration the potential global opportunity as more countries legalize medical cannabis and then most likely recreational cannabis down the road that really should open up legal cannabis to an increasingly mainstream audience and become a bigger industry as a result.
0: So we're talking about investing in cannabis. What what really are we talking about? What kinds of companies? Because I don't imagine I'm just gonna go hand some money to a hippie standing out in a field in the middle <laughs> of could. Oregon. You could, just I could. It's just not, not a good But investment. I just don't know that that's the great way. The Probably right way not to do it.
2: encouraged. Yeah. At this point, uh, Canada really is the the haven for a lot of these uh, legal cannabis producers. Uh, it's. By far the most attractive market to raise capital because these companies can actually go public on the Toronto Stock Exchange or the TSX Venture Exchange for smaller companies. So, it's relatively easy to uh, list your shares publicly, access uh, investors that way, and the fact that cannabis is now legal on a national level means that the banks are suddenly supporting cannabis companies. So, you're able to get a loan from banks or even have an account with a bank, whereas in the U.S., because it's still criminalized on a federal level, a lot of banks uh, are kind of nervous to get involved in supporting any form uh, of the cannabis industry in the U.S., even though it is legalized in some states. So, you're seeing Canada attract more and more attention, investment, entrepreneurship as a result. you have companies really all along the value chain. You have companies that are looking to produce cannabis, companies that are looking to distribute cannabis. Um, And oftentimes, these companies are actually vertically integrated because there isn't, unlike other crops right now, there's not this excess supply of cannabis you can access. So, if you want to sell cannabis or sell a branded cannabis product, you also need to grow the the cannabis at this point. But uh, part of what's Exciting here is that we are treading new territory, so we'll finally see how this market unfolds over the next year and beyond in Canada. Um, so yeah, that gives you an idea of the landscape. But right now, there, there's probably over a hundred publicly traded cannabis companies up in Canada, and yeah, they're they're all across the spectrum as far as where their place is in the industry.
0: Uh, so there's always a dumb way to invest uh, in something, and hopefully there is a not dumb, foolish approach to investing in the potential growth of the cannabis industry. What is your capital F foolish approach?
2: So first, let's start with the things that you want to avoid. And I think first you have to recognize that there is a lot of speculation here. There's a lot of frothiness, and partly for good reason. Like this is a new opportunity. Uh, I personally am increasingly convinced that this is the beginning of a large, legitimate, legal cannabis industry. So, I think there is reason to be excited. But at the same time, we have to tailor our expectations. Be- because the the shares of cannabis companies today, they're not trading based on present-day fundamentals or a track record. Because most of these companies have only been able to be in existence legally for three to five years at most. Um, and now, finally, in Canada, we have a national Uh, recreational markets, so there is an increasingly large opportunity there. But the shares of these companies are being priced based on future expectations and hype, so there's undoubtedly a lot of frothiness here. Like I'm sure people have seen Tilray in the headlines. It's a company that went public in July. They're a Canadian producer, but they went public directly on the Nasdaq gained a ton of attention. Uh, I think their, their IPO w- was initially priced at about $20 a share, went up to as high as $300 a share within oh. a couple months. Uh, and as we tape this right now, it's around $170 when this airs in a few weeks. Who knows where it'll be? Right. It could be at $300 or at 20 for all I know. Um, so, there's clearly a lot of shorter-term speculation. So, as Capital F Foolish investors, we don't want to get caught up in that hype. We want to take a long-term Business-focused approach, like we do with any other industry or company. So that's what we're trying to do here at the Fool uh, with, with some of our cannabis investing um, services that that we've launched so far this year. But recognizing that this is still uh, dominated by early-stage companies, they're at a riskier uh, stage in their life. They don't have much of a track record, so there will continue to be a lot of volatility. And as a result, since there isn't much in the way of a track record or present-day fundamentals a lot of what we have to do is look at the qualitative factors. So, get a sense for the leadership teams uh, at these companies. Who's at the helm of the ship? Is there a healthy amount of insider ownership? Because we want to be sure that the individuals who are spearheading these companies, if they don't have a whole lot of conviction or ownership in these companies, why should we (laughs) as investors? Then you you also want to pay attention to the balance sheet. So, essentially, how much cash does a company have in the bank? Because virtually none of these pure-play cannabis companies are actually making any money yet, so they're unprofitable. And as a result, they're burning a lot of cash, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because if you do agree that there is an opportunity here, it makes sense to invest in a production facility, a processing facility, investing in marketing and brand building. Uh, But you want to be sure that the company has enough cash to support that. So, those are some of the factors that we look at. And then we also want to I mean, taking a long term approach, we want to be sure that we're finding companies that are positioning themselves to be a relevant player in the long term. So we're not necessarily worried about where the share prices will be in a month or three months or even a year. We're more interested in. What, what are the odds that this cannabis company will be a relevant and thriving player in the industry three plus years from now? So trying to take that long-term approach is kind of the way that we're playing a different game than a lot of the speculation and short-termism, short-termism that's dominating the category right now.
0: So, are there a couple specific company names or stocks that you want to put out there and um, for any listeners that want to maybe consider and start looking into the industry?
2: Sure. So, we, we've kind of distinguished between, uh, like within the, the initial companies that we've recommended uh, to people as buy recommendations, uh, we have the pure plays. So, these are companies that generate the majority of their revenue from cannabis in some shape or form, and then we also have picks and shovels companies. And picks and shovels companies, we've identified as companies that have a strong underlying core business that isn't in cannabis, but then the potential opportunity with cannabis is kind of an add-on or a cherry on top, but it isn't the the main thesis behind buying the the company. So. Starting with um, a picks and shovels company, I think Constellation Brands is a company that some people will be familiar with. or If people have followed this space at all, you might have seen them in the headlines. This is a company behind um, Corona, uh, the beer, and then a variety of other uh, wine and spirits brands that they have in their portfolio. They've been one of the the better performing alcohol, alcoholic beverage uh, companies, uh, really, uh, in, in the past several years, unlike some of the other bigger players. Last year, they invested a smaller amount into Canopy Growth, which is one of the larger cannabis producers in Canada. And Then in August, uh, Constellation Brands re-upped that investment in a huge way. They invested an additional $4 billion into wow. Canopy Growth, taking 38% control of Canopy, uh, four of the seven board seats. So, essentially, Canopy Growth today is the cannabis offshoot of Constellation Brands. And to, to put that number in perspective, in the first half of 2018, every single cannabis company, public and private, around the world had raised $4.3 billion. Wow! That's the first half of this year. So, in a single day, uh, canopy growth essentially raised the same amount that every other company had raised. So, this just puts um, Constellation and canopy growth on a whole other level uh, compared to other companies. So. From a picks and shovel angle, I like Constellation Brands because this is a company that pays a dividend. Um, that they generate an increasing amount of free cash flow, so it's a healthy business. They have a strong core business, but they're also making a fairly aggressive push into cannabis. And they, during um, the announcement of this investment, they they said that they expect the legal cannabis market on a global scale to hit two hundred billion dollars uh, by twenty thirty. So they see this being a big opportunity, and they're making a substantial bet on it. So, that that would be the type of company that I start with. It's a business that's easy to understand. You can sort of see where cannabis could complement Constellation Brands, because they have a lot of experience building brands and distribution with a highly regulated product like alcoholic beverages. And it makes sense that they could transfer that knowledge over to cannabis in the coming years. And I like the fact that they're taking a long-term approach to this. They're not investing in cannabis to juice their share prices or their share price in the short term. They're very much thinking of this from a decades-long perspective, and I think that's the right way that, as Foolish investors, we should be thinking. Uh, with pure-play companies, these are obviously much riskier companies. Uh, like, like I said earlier, a lot of these companies are burning cash, they're unprofitable, um, the valuations are likely going to be very lofty, uh, pr- no matter which way you slice it. Uh, but but one company that I do like, uh, that that's a pure-play cannabis producer, and Canada is a company called Cantrust. Uh, This is a company that's still valued at over a billion dollars. Their revenue over the past year is still pretty minimal, but they've registered among the most medical cannabis patients in Canada compared to the other bigger producers, and they trade at it even though their valuation does sound lofty, like a billion dollars for a company that's generated about $30 million in revenue over the past year, that valuation is actually really attractive compared to Canopy Growth or Tilray or Aurora Cannabis or some of these other bigger players. So, I'm not making the valuation argument necessarily, but compared to some of these other bigger players, uh, I think it is a more attractive price. They also have a, a partnership in place with Breakthrough Bre- Beverage, which is one of the largest private companies in the U.S. and that's a company that um, is, is one of the leading um, beverage distributors in North America. So, in the coming years, potentially uh, Cantrest will be able to plug its uh, cannabis products into that distribution network of Breakthrough Beverage. Um, it's a founder-led company. Uh, they have a healthy balance sheet. So again, this is one where it would still be incredibly volatile, but. Uh, I, I like the approach the company is taking. When I uh, spoke to their president this summer, he said, You know, in 18 months or so, I hope that we're not in the business of growing cannabis. Because when you think about it, no one cares about who grows the coffee for Starbucks or the tomatoes for Heinz. People are really just interested in the end product. So, the long-term vision for CanTrust, and also some of these other companies, is really in building brands. Because, at the end of the day, when you're dealing with what could potentially become a commoditized crop, like cannabis, uh, the, the, the greatest value to be captured will be from the brands that can build that, uh, the companies that can build those brands that resonate with the end consumers. So just as you see Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser with alcohol or Starbucks with coffee or Heinz with tomatoes, I think you're going to see, in the coming years and decades, some pretty powerful global brands be built in a similar way around cannabis. And I like the approach that CanTrust is taking to get there. There's certainly, you know, it's not a slam dunk that they will, but I do like the approach uh, that they're taking. So that's one that, that I look at as you know a promising pure play company.
0: Uh, what if I just want an ETF?
2: There there are a few ETFs out there. Uh, again, limited track records there because, there, again, there hasn't been much of a, a track record to have in, in this industry. The one danger with the ETFs is that they're often highly concentrated in the bigger players, and I would say that most, if not all, of the bigger players are trading at some frothy valuations, potentially unsustainable levels. Um, so you, you still want to understand what you're buying. I wouldn't blindly buy an ETF. So first, you'd want to see what what their concentration is in the top ten holdings, what those companies are, and if you're comfortable with the idea of having the majority of that ETF be in some of those bigger players, and so for me personally, I, I like the idea. If if you are looking to get exposure to this category, start with a company like Constellation Brands, a, a more established multinational company that is looking to make some investments in the category. And then, if nothing else, um, the the approach that we're taking here at the Motley Fool with our cannabis investing recommendation services is we're almost building our own ETF. So recognizing that. This is the type of industry, given that it is at such an early stage, there will be plenty of losers in the coming years. You're going to see some consolidation, you'll see some companies that fail to gain traction and just won't be able to raise cash, and they'll they'll go bust. But the thesis that we have here is that there will be eventual long-term winners in the category, and that a majority of the gains will likely come from a small number of winners, so almost approaching it like a venture capitalist, where you're making a series of small bets. You recognize that probably at least half of those bets won't work out like the way you hope, but there will be one or two big winners that more than make up for the losers. Um, So, with an ETF, you might be able to capture that, but I think over the long term, if you are interested in the space, it makes a little more sense to build a diversified portfolio among a few of the players um, and and go with that approach. But to each their own, I I would just tread carefully um, with the ETF approach.
1: If someone's interested in this, how much of their portfolio do you think they should devote to these types of companies?
2: It should definitely be a small part of your overall portfolio. Obviously, each person's circumstances and risk tolerance will be different. Uh, I've personally invested in all 10, or eventually 13, of our recommendations uh, by the time um, this podcast is released. So, I've invested my own money in the in the companies that we've recommended in this space to our members, but I just started with about five percent of my overall portfolio, and you know I'm young. I'm adding more money regularly to my investments, so that's the type of risk that I can afford to take, even though. Twenty or thirty or forty percent swings in these stocks, especially the pure plays, isn't all that uncommon. It's actually probably more the norm, not rather than the exception. So, for someone who's in or near retirement, or if they're not adding a lot of money to their investments, you just want to take a step back and really be sure anything that you put into cannabis, into the cannabis stocks, should be money that you certainly won't need in the next five years, and shouldn't be a substantial part of your overall portfolio. So, I would say, when in doubt start small. There's no rush. Because uh, the way that we're approaching is like, th- this will be something that unfolds in the coming years and decades. And there will certainly be a lot of peaks and valleys along the way. We'll have a lot of hype like we had around October 17th and Legalization Day in Canada. Um, I'm sure w- if and when the, the U.S. federal government decriminalizes cannabis on a federal level, that'll be a huge catalyst for, for the industry. But yeah, when in doubt, Start small.
0: All right, David. Thank you. Uh, I should probably have a disclaimer. As always, the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about. Don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you heard on this show. David, will you stick around for a little game? Of course. All right. So, I think it's safe to say that Ben and Jerry's ice cream company feels a connection with weed. I
1: think so. Yes. Flavor names
0: include Cherry Garcia, named after the lead of the Grateful Dead. They also have fish food. Uh, Another band that enjoys just getting together in a field and smoking weed and just hanging out for (laughs) long hours. And then, of course, the ice cream half baked. So. For today's quiz, you guys have to guess, is it a weed strain or a failed Ben and Jerry's ice cream oh boy. flavor? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> okay, the first one is Snoops Dream.
2: Oof, boy.
1: So that would you'd have to say it's most likely weed, so I'm going to say it's a trick question and I'm going to say it's ice cream.
2: I'm going to say it's I'm going to say it's weed.
0: You know what? Weed has it. It is need a, oh, a strain of weed. All right, next one. Super Lemon Haze. <laughs> I'm
2: just wondering what the ice cream flavor will be. Does, does anyone want an ice cream dominated by that much lemon? I don't know if anyone's oh, asked for that. Oh, I
0: love lemon ice cream. Okay,
2: all right, I stand corrected.
0: Oh, man, I love lemon ice cream.
2: All right, so I'll go with weed. Yeah, What's what's even better than lemon ice cream? Lemon weed. I'll go with weed again.
0: It is indeed weed. <laughs> All right, the next one is oh pear.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, I can't imagine. Well, uh, I'll go with ice cream.
2: Yeah, I I, I like <laughs> ice cream there. But again, how you're ice hearing cream. that word,
1: and you know, ice cream,
0: ice cream. It is indeed a failed Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor. It was fresh pear ice cream with a hint of almond and a light fudge swirl. But, uh, apparently, fans did not like it.
2: Uh, shocker. Yeah. The
0: next flavor, or s- weed strain, <laughs> hint, hint. Fred and Ginger. Hmm. Fred and
1: Ginger. What kind of ice cream would be? For, like? I'm going to have to go with the weed on that one.
2: I'll say ice cream. Are there some Fred and Ginger celebrities out there? Well,
1: yeah, yeah. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rock. Okay, but I, I don't know I what no kind of ice cream... Are. Showing your age there.
2: Yeah, I know. I, I'm totally <laughs> clueless here.
1: That's
0: okay. All right. Rick thinks it's weed. You think it's.
1: I think I said weed. Weed? What ice cream?
0: Think? Ice cream. You're right. It's ice cream. This flavor right. featured ginger ice cream with chocolate bow ties. Aww. <laughs> All right. The next one you have to guess Sour Tsunami.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, it sounds more ice creamy to me, but. What do I know? You know nothing. Nothing about weed. I think I'm losing this this competition. Yes, you are. Uh,
2: I'll go with uh, I'll go with weed strain. I think it's a sorbet.
0: It is a weed strain. <laughs> five Jeez. for five. okay. And the last one is black and tan.
1: Goodness gracious! I say it's both. <laughs> That's
0: true. It is hard to double. There are so many strains, uh, strains of weed. It is hard to know. But if it is a Ben and Jerry's flavor, that trumps whether or not
1: it is. Oh, I'm going to say true. weed. Yeah, I'll go with weed. Ice cream.
0: It is ice cream. No, oh I don't think extreme, I got a single one right. A creeps. <laughs>
1: It's a cream
0: stout ice cream swirled with chocolate ice cream. Um, It sounded pretty good, but then apparently there's some British history and Irish fans did not like it. (laughs) Anyway.
2: Now, Allison, did you bring samples of all these for us today?
0: (laughs) Of the weed? Yes, because these ice creams don't exist anymore, so here we go. First, we're going to start off with Snoop's dream. Excellent. It's Yeah, I don't know. No, we have none of that here. All right, so, uh, yeah, that's all I got for you, David. Thank you so much for hanging out with us.
2: Always a pleasure. Thanks so much. It's been
0: a lot of fun. Well, that's the show. It is edited tokingly by Rick Engdahl. Uh, Our email is answers (laughs) at fool.com. For Robert Camp, I'm Alison Southwick. Stay Foolish, everybody!